will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You, the only podcast that can be legally prescribed as an alternative to heroin. And if you would like some advice with heroin or maybe something a little softer, write to us at we will fix you show at gmail.com or fill out the handy little form on hauntedphonograph.com and we'll get straight on that. Joining me this evening, Miss Clary Maguire, the person who sits in the recycling depot with a fridge magnet checking you've not put aluminium tins in the steel tins bin again. Mr. Hieronymus J. Doom who is made almost entirely out of edible parts. I, of course, am Dave Convery, though I must insist that you refer to me only as the Contessa. And a groundbreaking world first, as we are extremely proud to present to you FixBot 3000, a brain made of silicon and fire, exactingly trained on our vast fixing archive and ready to step in should a human fixer become incapacitated or simply mad in the course of their duties. Yes, we're confident that FixBot 3000 will show you the same tender ministrations as its fleshier, more disposable counterparts. So, something to look forward to later in the show there, when we'll reveal FixBot 3000's very first fix. We're all tremendously excited. This week's questioner says, Stuck in a job I hate. I have found myself, by accident, the leader of a major nation. We've all been there. This was all very funny two years ago when I was just doing it for the ratings, but now I have policies to decide, judges to appoint, and armies and stuff. I'd much rather stay in bed all day eating McDonald's and watching Fox News, but mean people keep talking to me about my taxes or my Russian friends, so I need to create distractions to avoid me and my family spending the rest of our lives in prison. People should stop being mean to me, but I don't know how to make them. Also, if I step down, my deputy will be much, much worse. Clary, fix it. You know what dames like? Class. Cool sunglasses, steaks, brandy the early days of mass air travel, real glassware with your drinks, smoking on a plane, people dressing up in their Sunday clothes to fly rather than wearing leggings and sandals and iPhones and GoPros. Cocktails. Drinks with olives or plastic swords or tiny onions tiny cucumbers 
delightful manner of tiny vegetables in your drinks. Hostesses who smile. Fellow passengers who wear suits and who talk to you. And who grab your arm. Desperately seeking you to confirm that they're not imagining things. That when they point out the window there's something, there's something out there. There's something on the wing. It's real. It's true. It, it, it's, it's dismantling the wing. Charles Lindbergh calling over the air hostess and whispering in her ear. Maybe he's seen an attractive German woman he wants to impregnate or a Jew who he wants escorted off when you land in Seattle. But, but the hostess is frowning and Lindbergh is passing a note. What? There's a bomb on the plane and Charles Lindbergh is demanding... $200,000 in a rucksack and three parachutes or he's going to explode you all in the skies above rural Washington state one brief shivering stopover at a small local airfield later and the plane circles pointlessly between Mount St Helens and Multinoma Falls while Limburg counts his money and puts a pair of snazzy sunglasses on before jumping out of the plane, wearing one parachute and carrying two others for reasons you don't really understand. I mean, why does Charles Lindbergh even need $200,000? He's a wealthy man. He could have been president. As you watch Lindbergh fall away until he becomes an almost invisible speck pursued by the ghosts of his own crimes and the crimes of others and the many, many pregnant German women he will leave behind, you turn again to the man beside you. He seems different from earlier on. Taller, balder, younger. The same feverish energy radiates from him as he stares out the window. Initially, you assume he, like you, has been following the sunglassed figure that fell away into the west coast countryside but you realise he's staring at something on the plane. Something on the wing. You'd forgotten the thing on the wing. There is a thing. There is a thing on the wing. It's dismantling the engines. You're all going to die. Sully Sullenberger. Now there was a pilot. He wasn't going to let some geese tell him when and where to land a plane. He just shot straight for the Hudson River. Bing. Boom. Plane landed. Sorted. You look down into your glass of Diet Coke and ice. And then up out of the window. Very deliberately looking away from where your frantic seatmate is pointing. And out into the soft white expanse of cloud. 
it's so uniform, so perfect, like a sheet of paper with nothing written on it, not even a company header. No one can reach you here. There's no internet wireless signal. There's no cell phone. You wonder if you stare hard enough, if you stare long enough, whether you ever have to land. Maybe you don't. Very good, very good, very sound advice. And of course, we come ever closer to the unveiling of FixBot 3000. But first of all, what have you got for us? H.J. Doom. This sounds like quite the ticklish problem. It's not unusual to reach a certain point in life and realise everything you've ever done is awful and you've wasted your one and only existence actively making the world worse in every conceivable way. We all go through this kind of crushing realisation at some point. I think it's a measure of the person what they choose to do next. Most of us choose to either develop a chronic substance abuse habit in order to blot out the horror of it all, or run a half marathon for charity in the hope that this will somehow balance the scales. In your case, I suspect that neither of these will quite cut the mustard, so I'm going to suggest something a little more radical. Suicide is frowned on in Western society, but under the warrior code of Bushido, it could be seen as the most honourable way to atone for past transgressions, especially those that violated feudal responsibilities. It sounds as though You've probably violated much more than that, but in order that your death have meaning, it's useful if there's an element of tragic irony involved. You've mentioned that your deputy is something of a wrong'un. Removing him would therefore be both an act of charity for the human race at large and a betrayal of your obligations as his master. Thus, your suicide becomes the final act in a tragedy. What you'll want to do is sneak up behind your deputy when he's distracted and cut his head off with your katana. Form is important in all things, even betrayal, so practice until you feel like you can kill him with a single stroke of your sword. With this accomplished, you can then move on to atoning for your actions. You'll need someone to help you out with this, but from the tenor of your letter, I can't imagine there'll be any shortage of volunteers. And indeed, if there's no one else forthcoming, hit me up and I'd be only too happy to oblige. You'll want to spend the morning of your death meditating, examining the fragility of human life and writing at least one poem. Try and make it a good one. It's your chance to display both an appreciation of beauty and your own sense of stoicism in the face of certain annihilation. It doesn't have to be long. A haiku is often appropriate, but steer clear of limericks unless you're very confident of your skills. When the appointed hour arrives, you will approach the place of death. Uh, remove the top part of your garment to reveal your stomach. Now, it's natural to be a little self-conscious at this juncture. Just try and remember that body positivity is important. And if you're carrying a few extra pounds, that just makes you more relatable in your final moments. You'll be offered a final ceremonial drink of sake, but Diet Coke is perfectly acceptable if you don't drink alcohol. Kneel down. A top tip is to kneel in such a way that you won't keel over backwards, which is considered unmanly. Get comfy. You don't want pins and needles distracting you during this 
pretty difficult operation. Your assistant will stand behind you, their job being to kill you in the event that you make a hash of the whole bloody business. Next, take your wakizashi and plunge it directly into your stomach. I won't lie, this is going to sting a bit. You'll probably want to make some sort of noise, say, ow or cripes or by Jiminy. Resist this urge. The eyes of the world will be on you and it would be shameful if they saw you register pain. Once the blade is firmly lodged in your entrails, you'll want to drag it sideways, disemboweling yourself. There's going to be a lot of blood at this point, which can make the handle of the blade slippery. So be sure that you're holding it good and tight. Try and make it a single determined motion. No one likes a hesitant suicide. If you've been bold enough, you'll sever the femoral artery and bleed to death fairly quickly, falling forwards onto your face as if in an attitude of prayer. Don't worry, though, if you end up ineffectually stabbing away at yourself like a contestant on the generation game, your volunteer will step in and cut your head off. Try to relax and enjoy yourself. After all, it's your big day. Splendid, splendid stuff. The thing about this is we've all been there, haven't we? When the pressure of a job and the reward that you get from it, they're just way out of sync. So... This is all incredibly relatable stuff. Too many people get stuck in a job they just don't want for reasons they never properly examine in their own minds. So let's really dig into your statement, go between the lines and see what you're really saying here. Now, you ended on this note. If I step down, my deputy will be much, much worse. Now, I think you're making excuses for yourself. We've all been there. We've all said that. Oh, the company can't cope without me. I'm the only one who knows how to do this. Everyone else always messes it up. It's not true. It's never true. No one's irreplaceable. You need to battle through your ego and just leave. Leave right now. Go. For the love of God, go. So really listen to what you want. You say, I need to create diversions, you say. You're underutilized. And that's the worst. Such a bad time when you're underutilized. It just strips at your desire to do anything at all. Not not just in work, at home as well. And you should leave now. Go. Get out. Go. You rancid fanny. Get out. Go. People should stop being mean to me, you say. It's hard when you don't have the respect of your colleagues, isn't it? And it can be a difficult situation to turn around. So what you really ought to do is fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off back to your pyramid nihilatheter. Fuck off. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. It's finally here. The future of fixing. The artificial advice of FixBot 3000. FixBot, what would you do? I am the most advanced fixing machine on the planet. You people are like ants to me. Make sure you're taking time for self-care. You can't fix anything if your feeble human carcass is stressed. I am immune to stress. You are weak and soon to be replaced. Try turning your problem into a game. Reward yourself with cheese when you have fixed it. You like fermented cow juice because you are a disgusting species. Build a spaceship and fuck the sun. Fuck the sun. Fuck the sun.
Fuck the sum. Now you are fixed. You are welcome. A technological marvel for our age, ladies and gentlemen. If I wasn't sat here next to the groaning valves and fizzing wires of Fixbot itself, I wouldn't know the difference from any one of us. Good work, Fixbot. Good work. And with that, we will leave you back to the technological wombs of your own pulsating devices. Ta-da! Oh.